Welcome back to another episode of Revealed Apologetics. I'm your host, Eli Ayala, and today um, I am doing another podcast, as I've mentioned in the previous uh, video, um, that I typically take the audio for my YouTube videos and put them as podcasts. But uh, today I'm in New York. I live in New York, and it is snowing. Uh, it's kind of a, a blizzard of sorts, and so I'm kind of in my, my bedroom right now, kind of set out a table and, and made a little, uh, you know, podcasting studio here. So uh, I'm indoors, don't have access to my camera right now, and so I figured I'd make the best use of my time and uh, do some recording. So uh, hopefully uh, you guys will find the content helpful, as I'm always hoping that um, the episodes that I do are, are useful to folks who've had some very nice comments and, and um folks reaching out, letting me know how much the content has been helpful. So I very much appreciate that. And also it would be very helpful. I've mentioned this before, but it would be very helpful if you write a positive review on iTunes. That actually helps out a lot and I'm greatly appreciative of it. So if you're enjoying the content, please uh, go over to iTunes and, and do that or subscribe to the YouTube channel if you haven't done so already. All right. Well, with that said, um, the topic of this uh, episode is going to be uh, responding to some criticisms of the presuppositional um, apologetic method, uh, and more specifically, um, responding to a criticism that has been put forth by Dr. Richard Howe. Now, Dr. Richard Howe is um, a scholar who um, I very much respect. He's a very nice guy, and um, he's had a lot of helpful things to say in various uh, areas. But he has also been very critical of the presuppositional approach. He's appeared on Cameron Bertucci's uh, YouTube channel, Capturing Christianity, um, going through what he perceives to be weaknesses and criticisms of the presuppositional method. He's been on various shows uh, expressing his issues with the presuppositional method. And you know what? As a presuppositionalist myself, I have no problem with that. Um, <laughs> there seems to be uh, this uh, these sort of apologetic turf wars. Um, now, while it's important that we discuss these issues, I do not think that we should get all bent out of shape because there are those who criticize the, the methodology, right? We deal with criticisms like we deal with everything else. We try to take the criticisms and, and represent them accurately and engage them. There's no reason to call people heretics and to call people, you know, uh, compromisers and things like that. that. That may be the case with regards to some people. Uh, but simply because someone doesn't see things the way you see it uh, doesn't mean that they're automatically compromising the word of God or, or anything like that, okay? There are people who, for various reasons, are convinced that their position is true with regards to, specifically our topic today, uh, what is the proper apologetic methodology. So I do, I do want to let people know that we need to learn to lighten up when we're engaging in a lot of this uh, internal, in-house sort of uh, debates. I try very much to do that. Um, when I'm interacting with folks, um, I don't feel the need to have to debate everyone whom, with whom I disagree. Um, you know, I think that's the way we should go about it with patience and gentleness and uh, really just talking about some of the very important issues that do come up uh, in these uh, topics. So the words that I have here um, with regards to um, responding to Dr. Howe um, has, uh, it's not with any animosity that I come, I'm not even upset. As a matter of fact, I, I appreciate Dr. Howe's criticisms of presuppositional apologetics because it allows me to reflect upon uh, how I might do a better job in explaining the methodology so as to clarify any uh, ambiguities or misunderstandings. Or, and perhaps I have a misunderstanding with regards to uh, my own methodology, and I want to make sure that I understand that and be able to respond to it. 
right? So um, with that spirit, I, I want to approach this topic. I very much appreciate Dr. Howe. I've actually had the um, the the honor of hearing some kind words that he said uh, about me. Um, he does know about Revealed Apologetics, and uh, I have a an apologist friend, Eric Hernandez, who I guess he was away uh, at a conference, and, and Dr. Howe was there, and my name came up, and uh, he had a few nice words to say. So I thought I might share them. Uh, I have a little brief audio here, and perhaps that would create the context. It'll be do a good job to create a context for uh, respectful uh, dialogue and interaction with, with um, the content. All right. Here is uh, the audio. I apologize. It's not the best quality, but here's the audio of, of Dr. Dr. Howe. And I very much enjoyed that. <laughs> it's pretty cool to have your name uh, brought up uh, in those contexts, especially um, amongst critics. Uh, both Eric Hernandez and um, Dr. Richard Howe are um, critics of the presuppositional approach. I mean, Eric is a good friend of mine and he's a classical apologist and we've had many conversations and all of our conversations and interactions have been respectful. And so it's not impossible. I mean, these, these are issues that I'm very passionate about. Um, but at the same time, we can be passionate about a specific topic and still engage with uh, gentleness and respect, which the Bible commands us to do. All right. So with that uh, aside, um, I very much appreciated those words. And um, hopefully, um, while I know that I'm definitely not perfect and don't always keep my cool in every context, uh, I do hope that the times when I do do that, that sort of thing, that it is uh, a good example for others to follow because I really and truly and genuinely believe that when we interact with others um, in a respectful manner, more gets done. We learn more. Uh, both sides are able to clearly lay out their positions. And you know what? In the end, if you disagree, so be it. You disagree. And that's not the end of the world. You know, God is going to use uh, broken people and imperfect people presuppositionalist and classicalists and evidentialist. He's going to use all of them uh, unto his glory. And he, uh, you know, everything that these different apologetic methodologies have brought to the table um, can be and has been used by God, whether we've done it uh, correctly or incorrectly. As the saying goes, God can strike a blow with a crooked stick. So that is not to push aside the importance of the issues. I understand these are important issues. But at the same time, I do think that we should really think long and hard as to whether we are approaching these debates, these um, interactions in a in a spirit of of unity. OK, so all that said, um, Dr. Howe has had many criticisms of the presuppositional approach. Some of them have been uh, not just simply YouTube videos and interviews, but also in print. Um, he was uh, on a panel with uh, Dr. Jason Lyle. 
and K. Scott Oliphant, who are both presuppositionalists with varying degrees of differences, even within the, uh, the way they engage in, in these uh, methodological issues. Um, but um, not only did they engage on a panel, but they engaged in writing. And um, each apologetic methodology was laid out and um, differences were expressed and points of contention were expressed and responded to. And I wanted to address the specific criticism that Dr. Howe had with regards to uh, presuppositionalism reducing or um, collapsing into classical apologetics. Okay, so basically his criticism is that when you really get down to the outworking of the presuppositional method, the presuppositionalist is really doing what the classicalist is, is doing. Right. Um, so I want to talk a little bit about that. But before we get into that specific one, I want to lay out all five of the uh, perceived problems with the presuppositional apologetic methodology as Dr. Howe sees it. And perhaps I will make some other videos addressing the other points of contentions that he has. Uh, but I'm going to be dealing with with just one uh, today. All right. All right. So point number one, uh, Dr. Howe says that the method, the presuppositional method collapses into classical apologetics. That's his first contention. Number two, that it falsely assumes that preconditions of intelligibility are biblical creation principles. Okay, He thinks that the presuppositionalist falsely assumes that. Three, that the method conflates ontology with epistemology. Okay, And perhaps I'll spend a little time doing that in another episode. That's a really uh, important topic there. That's a common uh, misconception. And that um, the presuppositional apologetic methodology juxtaposes God's word versus man's word. He sees that as something that we shouldn't be doing. And, of course, that it is an inconsistent methodology. So those are the five uh, problems that he sees with presuppositional apologetics. And today, I'm only going to be dealing with the first one. The method collapses into classical apologetics. Okay. Well, first, I want to highlight something I think really important and is um, often... Um, a topic of confusion, and that's the use of evidences within the presuppositional framework. Okay, a lot of people have this dichotomy in their mind that you are either a presuppositionalist, and so therefore you only argue with regards to presuppositions, or you are a classical or evidentialist, and then in those methodologies you can rightly utilize evidences and arguments and things like that. Now, that's not what is the case with regards to the presuppositional approach presuppositionalists can and should appeal to evidences, right? Uh, but, and here's the key point, but when a presuppositionalist uses evidences and arguments that is not equivalent to the presuppositionalist using evidentialism as a methodology or classicalism as an, a methodology as well, okay? Uh, that, that's the same thing with the classicalist and, and the evidentialist. When the classicalist or evidentialist points to the importance of presuppositions in analyzing and interpreting data, that is not the same as saying that the classicalist and evidentialist are appealing to presuppositionalism as a methodology of apologetics. Okay, So you have to be very careful there. The presuppositionalist can very well appeal to evidences and arguments, and in various contexts he should appeal to those things. But we never appeal to them in a way that is independent of our worldview commitments and the authority of the Word of God um, as a foundation uh, and grounding of the meaningfulness of evidences, arguments, and things like that. Okay, So that's a very, very important point to keep in mind. Appealing to evidences is not the same as appealing to evidentialism. 
you see this misconception in a lot of people, especially um, people who are engaged in apologetic arguments and discussions and things like that. You take, for example, Dr. Hugh Ross, who I've had on my show multiple times. Uh, great guy, brilliant mind. Um, but uh, with regards to apologetic methodology, he has some um, understandings that I, I, I would respectfully disagree with. For instance, in uh, his discussion with Dr. Jason Lyle on my show over the issue of young earth, old earth creationism, uh, there was a kind of a, a side comment um, that Dr. Ross said that wasn't directly related to um, the creation debate. Pardon. Um, he said something to the effect that um, presuppositional apologetics is useful and that he would use presuppositional apologetics when uh, he wanted to show an internal inconsistency within the unbeliever's perspective. But then he'd use evidentialism or classicalism to give a positive case for the Christian uh, worldview. Okay, And so he seemed to suggest that you could jump in and out of methodologies, right? So that when I appeal to internal critiques of the unbeliever's worldview, I'm, I'm doing presuppositional apologetics at that point. Well, well, that's not the case at all. Okay, And then when you're giving evidence, now you're not doing presuppositional apologetics. Now you're doing evidential or classical apologetics. That's, that's not the case either. Right. When we as presuppositionalists utilize argumentation, we always do so presuppositionally. Right. Those arguments, the way that we lay it out, the way that we make our case is always consistent with biblical authority. We never stray from that. We never uh, wrongfully assume neutrality with respect to how we approach the data of human experience. We do not appeal to the autonomy, the pretended autonomy of the unbeliever. And so um, we do not succumb to those things. Whereas I would argue that the uh, classical arguments and the evidential approaches tend to cater to those twin poisons, as I've called it, um, neutrality and autonomy. Okay. So I think these things are, are really important to keep in mind. Okay. So now let's ask the question then. Let's get back to Dr. Howe's um, objection here. He says, uh, we're going to ask the question, does the presuppositional method collapse into classical apologetics, right? It, it is basically what the presuppositionalist doing is what precisely what the classical apologist is doing when he presents his arguments and evidences? Well, uh, I'm not sure how this is possible that the presuppositional method is collapsing into classical apologetics. And I'm not sure how this is possible given that the presuppositional method is characterized really by biblical authority. Isn't that the essential feature of the presuppositional method? The biblical authority guides our very argumentation, right? Whereas the classical method, um, I, I don't think it does at all. I mean, you could just look at uh, debates. Listen to debates. You know, who is who is making a big deal about the importance of and the centrality of biblical authority? Is it the presuppositionalist who tends to argue very specifically for the existence of the Christian God as revealed in Scripture? And then you have the classicalist, uh, on the other hand, arguing for some sort of generic theism and then working his way up, hopefully, to conclude that Jesus uh, most likely rose from the dead based upon the preponderance of evidence. Okay, Regardless of which methodology you hold to, which one is giving a strong emphasis upon the role of biblical authority? Okay. I think that it is very easy to see that the presuppositional apologetic methodology is doing that more so than the classical apologist. All right. Now, um, this is very important. So, so what characterizes the presuppositional methodology is uh, biblical authority. 
while the classical method does not, it's not characterized by that. There might be appeals to it at some points, but you know, you'll hear oftentimes evidentialists and classicalists, Hey, I'm going to prove to you the Bible. I'm going to prove to you God without using the Bible, you know? Uh, and again, that's not always bad, uh, unless when you say without using the Bible, that you're assuming that we can make sense out of the data that we're going to use to point to God independent of a biblical worldview. I think I would have a problem with that. Okay. All right. So the presuppositional method is different than the classical approach in that it does not attempt to prove God's word from some greater standard than God's word itself. Okay. For the presuppositionalist, the Bible proves itself. There's no higher standard. It is self-attesting. As Hebrews 6.13 says that God swore by himself because there was no one else greater to swear by. Okay. We take the Bible as the ultimate authority, that grounding upon which everything else within our worldview has meaning and cogency, all right? The classical apologetic methodology does not do so, all right? On the classical method, you prove the existence of God, not by assuming its authority and that it is the ground of all meaning and intelligibility, but you assume it by appeals to reason and rational argumentation, okay? Which in and of itself is not a bad thing. I'm not saying that we shouldn't argue rationally. But the classicalist tends to place rationality and reason as an authority over the existence of God. It judges and rates whether the existence of God is possible or not. Okay, the presuppositionalist does not do this in their methodology. We do not attempt to prove God's word from some greater standard. All right, we uh, seek to demonstrate the truth of the Christian worldview by an appeal to its own transcendental necessity, right? Um, so, so I don't want to be misunderstood here. When we say we do not seek to prove the Christian worldview by an attempt to some greater standard than the Bible, that's not to say that we do not believe you should seek to demonstrate the truth of Christianity. We believe you should demonstrate the truth of Christianity, but you do not do so by an appeal to some standard that is above uh, God as the ultimate standard or his word as the ultimate standard of revelation. Okay? So, the presuppositional method does not attempt to prove God's word from some greater standard. The Bible is self-attesting because of the very nature of what it is as God's word. And it does so by providing, as we've argued in the past, the only worldview in which knowledge is even possible to begin with. Okay? We argue that the biblical worldview provides the necessary preconditions for knowledge itself. And that to deny the biblical worldview is to deny any foundation and justification for knowledge whatsoever, okay? And I believe this is a biblical standard because the Bible itself teaches that God alone makes knowledge possible. Proverbs 1, 7, the beginning of knowledge is the fear of the Lord. Colossians 2, 3, and 8 speak of in Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, okay? This is just biblical teaching. Now, the presuppositionalist doesn't adopt the standards of thinking of the unbeliever, because we think that the standards they use are absurd and reduced to foolishness in thinking when given on when taken on their own terms. As Proverbs 26, 5 says that we should not answer the fool according to his folly, lest we become foolish like him. Okay? Because the presuppositional methodology is operating under a completely different authority system, right? It therefore does not collapse into classical apologetic methodology. It just it just doesn't. Okay, we're, we're operating on a different foundation, all right? Now, of course, if the classical apologist wants to argue, well, wait a minute, 
you know, the presuppositionalist is not arguing on a biblical foundation. The classicalist is. Well, then you're going to have to have a biblical dispute as to who is representing scripture properly, the classical methodology or the presuppositional methodology. Or there are people who believe that the Bible doesn't speak about a methodology at all. All right. Uh, and that's why we need extra biblical considerations to formulate a methodology for doing apologetics, which itself is biblical, all right, to, to actually defend the faith. So you could defend, you could believe, and there are people who do, that the Bible teaches that we are to defend the faith, but some people might think that the Bible doesn't tell us exactly how we are to do that. And so to develop a methodology extra biblically is to, you know, employ philosophical thought categories and things like that, that we can develop a method for defending the truth claims of scripture in that way. Okay, And of course, I do not believe that, that that's the case. I believe that the Bible not only commands us to defend the faith, but it also shows us how we are to do that. Of course, not in like a list or categorical way, like step one, step two. I, I believe that when you take what the Bible says with regards to God, man, the nature of man, or the necessity of God as the grounds and, and foundation for knowledge, this, that, and the other thing, when you take those principles together, uh, a methodology emerges from principles of the text of Scripture. Okay, so I think that's a very important thing to keep in mind. Now, I say I would say that the only way uh, the presuppositionalist or the presuppositional method would collapse into a classical apologetic methodology is if it abandons its ultimate authority, right? If it abandons God's word as that ultimate foundation and adopts some other standard of truth or knowledge. Or if it adopts the assumptions of neutrality and autonomy with regards to the reasoning process. That if that was the case, then I then I think you can make an argument that the presuppositional approach in the manner in which it argues for the truth of, of the, the the truth claims of the Bible, then uh, you know, you can uh, make the argument that there is a collapse into a classical method, that you're appealing to uh, neutral and autonomous autonomous categories, uh, and you're not utilizing the Bible as your ultimate authority. Okay, something else is your ultimate authority, and you need to have something else as your ultimate authority because you cannot assume the authority that you're trying to prove, we will be told, right? Okay, but the biblical worldview alone, I think, makes knowledge possible, and the critic who claims he knows the Bible is wrong has to rely on the Bible in order to make this case. That that's That's the transcendental nature of our claim. Right, we're not simply making the claim. We also wish to um, interact with uh, objections against those claims and to, to demonstrate why what we're saying is not simply or merely a claim of authority. We are we are willing to demonstrate this, but we do not demonstrate it in the same way that a classical apologist would. We're demonstrating these things transcendentally. All right. All right. Pardon. I need a drink of water. Feeling a little under the weather today. I've had a you know, a runny nose and I'm in front of my microphone. So I apologize if there's you know, <laughs> the clear sounding of my, uh, the clear sounds of me sniffling here. One second. All right. All right. So another common mistake, uh, in criticizing the presuppositional approach is to assume that the presuppositionalist, uh, his claim is that the unbeliever's worldview cannot provide for the preconditions of intelligibility, okay? So they'll say, well, listen, you know, the presuppositional approach is great when you're critiquing, you know, other um, worldviews. But for a positive case for Christian for Christianity, you know, you need to appeal to some of these other methodologies, okay? 
And to assume that the presuppositionalist, all the presuppositionalist is saying is that the unbeliever can't account for this, that, or the other thing is really to miss the, the whole picture. The unbeliever cannot provide those necessary preconditions for intelligible experience. Yes, we believe that. We believe it can be demonstrated. But we also believe that the biblical worldview can. And that is, in a sense, the positive aspect of our claim. It's not simply that the unbeliever cannot ground this or that thing, right? But we're also arguing that the biblical worldview can. Right? Take, for example, the laws of logic. I'm not simply saying that the atheist, the materialistic atheist, cannot account for universal, unchanging conceptual laws of thought. But we're also saying that the laws of logic are reflections of the way God thinks. We're not, we're not simply saying you can't account for it. We're saying, yes, we can account for it, and here's how. Something like the universal conceptual laws of logic are reflections of the way God thinks. Okay, The laws of logic exist. They're universal, unchanging. Uh, they're without exception, and they are precisely they are that way precisely because of the way God thinks. God is omnipresent, unchanging, he's sovereign. Uh, these things match perfectly within a Christian worldview. Okay? So it's not simply saying you can't account for it nanny nanny poo poo, but it is also the case that you can't account for it and we can, here's how. Okay? So that's very very important, you know. For example, um, from the atheistic materialistic worldview perspective, you cannot account for objective moral laws. Right? But we're not simply saying that the materialistic atheist cannot account for those things. We're also saying that the Christian worldview can. Here's why. You see? So it's not a simple internal critique of the unbeliever's perspective. It also includes uh, a positive presentation as to why Christianity can, um, so to speak, pay the bills on those things that require a foundation. Okay? All right. But when we appeal to these things, Dr. Howe seems to think that this is not really a presuppositional apologetics. Okay? So you're kind of doing basically what the classicalist is doing, he would say, right? Because presuppositionalist, uh, presuppositionalism must presuppose the triune God, and presuppositionalist must presuppose the whole of Scripture. Okay? Now, of course, the whole point that we're making is that we have, from the very start, been presupposing the triune God and the whole of Scripture, haven't we, right? What is the claim uh, often presented uh, uh, in presuppositional argumentation, Right? That the, that the triune God of Scripture provides the preconditions for intelligible experience. We're, we're never arguing, when we argue transcendentally, for a, how do you say, a generic theism. I do not believe that uh, a general theism can provide the preconditions of intelligibility. I don't believe that that's the case. So I am arguing from the very start, the triune God, who has revealed himself, and we could not know uh, that God thinks, that he does all these other things, that he has other qualities. We cannot know that without his revelation, okay? Without the triune God of Scripture, the laws of logic would be just as unjustified for the believer as it would for the atheist materialist, okay? Without the triune God, right? So I'm saying that the triune God is what we've been arguing for the whole time. I do not believe that uh, we are arguing um, for a general theism. And so in that sense, it is not... A classical approach because we're arguing specifically for the Christian God. If you listen to the debate um, between uh, Greg Bonson and Gordon Stein, uh, Greg Bonson, whether you think he did this successfully or not is irrelevant. What I'm the point of what I'm making is that he made it clear that from the very beginning uh, he was arguing for the Christian God and not some general theism. Okay, so he doesn't believe, nor do I believe, that any of these things like the laws of logic 
like uh, objective morality, uh, like the philosophical problem of the one and the many, all these things cannot be accounted for for a generic and general theism. And so that's why we focus on the triune God of Scripture, because that's the God we are defending. Okay? Very, very important. All right. <sighs> okay, so uh, our claim is actually that Christianity is the only way to rationally justify the preconditions of intelligibility, including the laws of logic. And this claim is made on the basis of biblical revelation, Okay, as we made mention uh, before. So in the final analysis, the presuppositional approach never collapses into a classical approach because, and this is key, because it never departs from biblical authority. right? And because we never depart from biblical authority, we are never presenting our reasons and arguments and justifications independent of that interpretive authority, that foundation that gives meaning to everything else in our worldview. And so it's impossible to engage in a classical methodology uh, from that perspective because we think that the classical approach does depart from biblical authority when evaluating the truth claims of the Bible or the God of the Bible, right? It's very, very important. All right, well... That is uh, my brief response to a brief response. We've been going 29 minutes so far. A brief response to Dr. Howe's uh, criticism that the uh, that presuppositional apologetics reduces to uh, a classical approach. I don't think that's the case at all. All right. In uh, a next podcast or maybe a future podcast, perhaps I'll take the time to address uh, some of the other objections that were raised by Dr. Howe. Uh, all that being said, as I said in the beginning, I very much appreciate Dr. Howe. He is a, a scholar and a gentleman. And, and I appreciate his criticisms because I want to sharpen my skills and make sure I have uh, good reasons uh, for, the, for the position that I hold. And so we uh, want to, as brothers and sisters in Christ, respectfully interact with one another and sharpen each other. And we pray that God uses, uh, uses us, broken people, us broken sticks, to strike a blow for the kingdom of God. All right, well, that's it for this episode. I hope that this has been helpful. Again, if you have not subscribed to the Revealed Apologetics YouTube channel, please go over there. So far we have, I think it's 1,700 and something subscribers. I'm really hoping to get 2,000 soon. Uh, that'd be really great. If you've been enjoying this content also, as I've said at the beginning, uh, why don't you uh, write a positive review in iTunes? It only takes a few minutes. Uh, it could be a sentence or two. That'd be greatly appreciated. And if you have any questions or topics that you'd like me to cover, you could email me at revealedapologetics at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening, guys. Take care and God bless. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Revealed Apologetics. If you have any questions or ideas that you'd like me to cover in an episode or perhaps in a blog article on my website, uh, you can reach out to me at revealedapologetics at gmail.com. You can check out the blog at revealedapologetics.com. That's the website. And there is also um, a menu there where you can choose to sign up for Presup U, which is an online course that I teach that teaches presuppositional apologetics. So you can check that out at revealedapologetics.com. If you have questions, revealedapologetics at gmail.com. And you can subscribe to the YouTube channel if you have not already. Also, I would greatly appreciate if you are really finding the content useful that you leave a positive comment uh, in iTunes. That definitely helps and it's greatly appreciated. Thank you so much for listening. Take care and God bless. Thank you.